I had what we call in my in my world a D day or a discovery mm -hmm. day, which is when we discover that I discovered that my now ex husband was a sex addict mm. and he had a secret life. And I discovered this when he got arrested. The hole opened up in the floor and I sort of fell into it. I could feel myself falling over and over again. And at that same moment, I saw a thousand doors open in front of me. Like everything in my life was going to have to change. Hey there. Welcome to another episode of Carve Your Own Fucking Path, a podcast made to inspire you to create a life and business on your own terms. You'll hear candid interviews with people who have boldly decided to blaze their own trail and the occasional solo show with me, your host. I'm Willa McDonough, on-camera coach, storyteller, and remote video producer. Five years ago, I moved from my home base of San Francisco to the coast of Portugal, taking a big leap into the unknown. Some called it courageous. I called it carving my own fucking path. Today, I live in Lisbon and run a business that elevates your online presence, helping you show up confidently on camera to create videos that showcase your brand and personality so you can get more visibility and attract clients by being yourself. If you're just starting out in business or you've been doing it for a while, you're sure to pick up tidbits of actionable advice and hopefully feel inspired by stories from people who have chosen the unconventional and sometimes messy path. And if you've been waiting for a sign to start carving your own fucking path, this is it. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome Jenny Rochelle to the podcast, to carve your own fucking path. I am very excited to have you. You are a leader in the space of, well, coaching and mentoring women specifically to not give up on love, to keep the faith, keep going and heal from betrayal trauma, which diving into all of your, your content, I've learned so much. It's incredibly relatable. So many people have been through this in some way and you have dedicated your, your life's work to this. So I want to acknowledge you for that right Thank off you. the bat. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. It's, it's like many people who find their true callings. We go through it through an uncomfortable doorway right? It's mm -hmm. not this thing. Of, oh, I'm going to specialize in betrayal trauma when I grow up. Right. <laughs> yes. But exactly. But if we're open to the path, right. It reveals yeah. itself to us often. <clears throat> often. Excuse me. Yes, exactly. And, and your story is, is, is just that, you know, going through something and we'll, we'll dive into that, but you, you experiencing something so devastating that it completely changed the course of your life. Absolutely. So could you bring us, I always like to dive into to the backstory. Could you bring us to a moment or a time that you can remember when you decided I'm going to carve my own fucking path? You know, I think so many moments, really so many moments. I think since <laughs> I was a little girl, right. There was this like, I meant for something. I meant for something. I meant for something. And I spent, you know, 40 years sort of trying to figure out what that was and had started, had decided um, 2014, 2015 that I wanted to be a coach. And so I was sort of like doing that thing where new coaches do, what am I going to specialize in? What's my niche? Everybody says I had to have a niche. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then in the middle of that, um, I discovered, I had what we call in my, in my world, a D-Day or a mm -hmm. discovery day, which is when we discover 
that I discovered that my now ex-husband was a sex addict mm. and he had a secret life. And I discovered this when he got arrested. <laughs> arrested. <laughs> he got arrested. And through that, in that moment, I knew that everything in my life was about to change. And it was sort of like this, it was this very sort of lifetime movie moment where I'm on the phone with the person at the jail downtown. And they tell me that not only did he get arrested, that he had actually gotten arrested for the same thing three months prior. Now, it turned out that wasn't true. He didn't actually get arrested, but his license plate was in the system for the same thing. So, but in that moment, it was like, you know, the hole opened up in the floor and I sort of fell into it. I could feel myself falling over and over again. And at that same moment, I saw a thousand doors open in front of me. Like everything in my life was going to have to change. And it still took about two and a half years for that to change. This is pretty typical when a person discovers. And, you know, I am trained to deal specifically with partners of sex addicts. That's my story. You could have betrayal trauma and that not be your story. Because that's a much bigger, mm. much mm -hmm. more inclusive experience. But like many people, when we discover this trauma, our brains can't deal with it. I couldn't yet grasp right. the severity of what was happening in my life plus I was like we got arrested he's gonna get his shit together but he didn't <laughs> he didn't it took about two and a half years later where I had another d-day mm. and realized all right I'm gonna have to get serious he's not gonna get better on his own I'm gonna have to like take care of myself and figure out what to do to keep myself and take care of my kids and went through this whole process of trying to find help for me which is one of the reasons why I eventually went into this work, because back then there was so much, there was so little known about partners of sex addicts, people who are in relationships. There had been some work developed for a couple of decades around how to treat the sex addicts, but mm -hmm. the partners in relationship with them for so long were labeled as co-addicts right? That we were codependent, we were mm -hmm. enabling, right? All that sort of really judgy pathologizing that's mainly placed on women, yep. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> like sort yeah. of diagnoses, <clears throat> yeah, that we get. And then, but there was a lot of work right around that time. So this is like 2015, 2016, some work really starting to be done by some leaders in the field that I'm in, and to realize that the symptoms of the symptoms that were being labeled as enabling and codependence and co-addict were actually PTSD. Mm. Like if you overlaid what it looked mm -hmm. like, the hypervigilance, the safe, the look at like looking at all the phone texts, you know, like yeah. the trying to control the situation, they figured out that like the partner often, if you were in the couples therapy, they look like the craziest person in the room. And they've yeah. done research, right? That now they know that partners of sex addicts report symptoms of PTSD similar to someone who's had a violent sexual assault. Wow. Because it is profound. <laughs> it is, mm. I mean, imagine this whole life you've created with someone mm -hmm. is not true. Like my ex had a secret life that I, I never knew about right, that I didn't know. And that's what I hear over and over again, women who've been married for two decades, three decades, mm -hmm. and discover 
oh, on Christmas of 2012, he was doing X, right? Or that all the, or okay. on the vacation for me, vacations, there's a lot of shit around vacations where the, all this stuff was going, but I didn't know. So through this process of like, somebody help me, I feel crazy. And then I finally found a coach who went on to become my mentor and one of my good friends, her name is Sarah Morales. And um, it was through working with her that I realized, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Okay, this is how I can take what happened to me, right? Mm -hmm. And use it, redeem it into, I want to avoid, I want to help other women avoid what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. So that's how I landed <laughs> in this space, which continues to evolve, right? Like every day, yes. every month, every year. Okay. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. I can't believe it. that was not that long ago. No, it wasn't. It really wasn't. Yeah. 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 And that there wasn't that many resources. Which is what's really shocking, right? Like it's yes. come a long way even. So he was arrested in 2012. So I'm coming up on my 10 year with help mm -hmm. traumaversaries, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a great way to turn it around. Right. Yeah. yeah. Coming up on that. And um, mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not that long ago. And you, you've said that, you know, it's not about saving him. Right. It's about saving yourself. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so you, you tried that on the, the get him in treatment. And it's, again, it's like putting him first or this other person, I, you know, first. Right. Absolutely. And that's, that's part of what I think can get labeled as this enabling or codependent or trying to fix the relationship. And there's two things about that, that we, that we now look at differently. One, you know, we're actually trying to create safety for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We are wired to create safety for ourselves. And like when we go through a trauma, we, we heal in phases from trauma. First phase is, is safety and stability. Before we have the tools, before we have ways to care for ourselves, it looks a whole lot like I'm going to fix him. It looks like enabling. It looks like I need him to be okay for me to be okay. What we know is like, that's trying to create safety for ourselves. This really fundamental need that we have. That's the, we feel so powerless, right? Like if I can just fix this, it's also a kind of bargaining, like in the grief process. Mm -hmm. If I can just fix him, everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And you deeply care about this person. And That's you the other deeply thing. love this person. Exactly. You still, you don't stop oh. loving them just because <laughs> they become the worst thing that ever happened to you. Right. <laughs> right. Still here. Yeah. And so in that moment, did you have, like, what kind of trauma response did you have? Can you remember? Oh, there were so many. Um, you know, the first time that it happened, so that was November, 2012, I... I remember up all night. I'm also a recovering alcoholic. So mm. I'm, I'm drinking got a whole lot worse for about six months. That was one mm -hmm. of the ways it showed up for me. Um, Hypervigilance is a thing that has continued. And so here's the thing. Trauma is the gift that keeps on giving. I've done a ton <laughs> of healing. I've done all of it, right? All the kooky stuff. All I've things, done from EMDR to like having shamans do an egg reading, right? In, in Mexico, I've done all of it mm -hmm. and it gets better and better. But one of the thing, one of the ways for me that shows up is hypervigilance, which means 
any sort of weird, unusual thing that shows up in my life means something bad's going to happen. Like the most mm -hmm. innocuous thing. This is my favorite story. This was several years ago. I was still married to my ex. And um, we got this package in the mail. It was a child's like magnifying glass, like to look at bugs outside. It was plastic and it was scratched, which is, was weird to me. And I was like, why would somebody send us this used magnifying glass and then I decided I decided it was because somebody was sending me a secret message and you, this is the thing I know I sound crazy and paranoid no. but mm -mm. this is what it looks like right someone was sending me a secret message that I need to look closer at my life I like looked at the tracking label I tried to figure out who this person was who they were that had sent this to me what happened was this was back when Amazon first started selling used things. And, mm. you know, my stepmother-in-law had mailed it to our son to look at bugs. It was the most innocuous, most innocent thing. But my nervous system mm -hmm. was like, oh my God, this terrible thing is something bad's going to happen, right? So that was one of the, the biggest ways Um depending on where I was in the process, you know, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, heart race pounding, heart, heart pounding and racing, um, lost a ton of weight, right. You know, just, just incredible anxiety. And I think anxiety is the wrong word. It's PTSD. Like we call, mm -hmm. I think a lot of things we label as anxiety are actually PTSD, yeah. right. That's happening mm -hmm. completely dysregulated nervous system, you know, it was all I thought about. And one of the things that happens is like, when you're still in the relationship, you want to talk about it constantly. You want to talk about it with them constantly, like, because your, your brain's trying to find meaning and what yes. happened It's trying to fill in the dots. Right. I was going to so, say that must've been so many questions. And how do you sleep next to that person after, exactly. after being betrayed? And what does that say? This is a very hard question to answer, but what does that say about intuition? Especially right. as a woman, don't we know everything? We Mother's do. Intuition? We do. You know, it's a funny thing. I think that we do. I think that um, it's funny. I'll, the day he got arrested, <laughs> the day he got arrested, um, I was pushing like my little kid, my little baby in the stroller um, to the supermarket and he was home late. And from work, and I thought to myself, maybe he's dead in a ditch, right? <laughs> like maybe mm -hmm. something's wrong. And immediately this voice came in that was like, oh, you're being silly, it's fine. But the the problem is because we're raised with pre-existing trauma, pre-existing, like yeah. So that voice, mm -hmm. I had really been taught or had learned to ignore that voice because I didn't trust it because it did see dangerous things when it wasn't really there. Okay. Does that make sense? And, and so, yeah. and so mm -hmm. I think that's also part of like, we're really taught to ignore intuition. We're taught to ignore our bodies. We're taught to like be living this rational mind. And what we actually know now is our bodies know way yeah. more than our mind knows. Mm -hmm. Totally. But we're, we're taught to ignore a lot of that. Yes. The mind can compartmentalize, right? And the Absolutely. body takes it and stores it. And then it creates and manifests, you know, different problems and symptoms. So that's the, the fascinating thing about the mind. 
and our subconscious and how we're operating from that place all the time, but all the we time. have no idea about that. So you talked about previous trauma when you were a child, something like that. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I had a, I have a childhood history of sexual abuse by a family member. Mm. And at that, at this point in my life, and this was like, you know, early forties, so here's here's one of the symptoms of PTSD. Um, the dates and everything are really, I have to think really hard about when things happen because my mind, our mind like erases like what the bad things that happen. Yeah. So I have to think really clearly about what happened in what year. But at that point in my life, I had not really dealt with the fact that I, this abuse had happened to me and I didn't understand the long-term effects and mm -hmm you know, now I know more about it, like, and all the sort of things that happened to me in my life, including the relationships, including ending up in the relationship with this person, with my ex, were like the accumulation of this unprocessed, unhealed trauma. And I want to be very clear, I don't like codependence. I don't like any of those words. I've said that many times. Mm -hmm. However, I do think that over a lifetime, when we have trauma, especially from our early age, we spend sort of the rest of our lives trying to work that out, even yeah. when we're not aware of it, even when we don't, would never label as what happened. And that working it out looks like that's what gets labeled, I think, is codependence, mm. right? And that enabling okay. behavior. Interesting. Yes. And you did bring up recovering alcoholic. Exactly. Yes. Also, so was, high yeah. high course for high correlation with childhood <laughs> sexual yeah. abuse, childhood trauma. Exactly, like it's so sort of like an algorithm, right? You put in this, you put in this. This is what it right. looks like when you get older if you don't get help for it. Mm -hmm. And so, all of this came to a head in 2012. Yes, well, 2012 was when I got arrested, and then one of my PTSD responses was, I shoved it deep, deep, deep down mm. inside. And yeah. I drank really heavily for about six more months and then realized, and actually in the moment when he got arrested, I thought to myself, he's a sex addict. We've got to get him help. But it sort of stopped there. And my drinking got much, much worse for like six months. Mm -hmm. But even in that moment, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to quit drinking. I knew it was going to happen, but it took like six months for it, to ha for it really to happen. Then once I got sober and started coming out of denial, became more and more able to deal with it. And I started to say this earlier, I see, I've seen this happen so many times with women that I work with, there'll be sort of this initial thing that happens. And then mm -hmm. it can, something can take years, sometimes decades yeah. before we get to the point where we're able to see what's going on. Because mm -hmm. as powerful as our intuition is, that need that like I always talk about the hippocampus right we're like it erases mm -hmm. the things we don't it doesn't <laughs> want us to remember it's like right it's wiping it all out denial is a powerful safety mechanism it's trying to keep us safe mm -hmm. yes exactly and it served us at some point absolutely <laughs> yeah. it serves us until it doesn't Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So that was something, it sounds like many layers of denial. Yeah. I mean, even again, the, the drinking, I mean, that's, that's no small feat to move forward and pass that, especially in a time of crisis. Right. Yeah. And having yeah. small children. 
and having small children. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're giving so much, so much inspiration. You're happily married. I am happily living living your best life. Yes, it's true. (laughs) And and in a very, I mean, a really a short amount of time. I know it probably did not feel like that, but in, in, in general. So, um, well, I did take your quiz. Ooh, awesome. (laughs) It's very interesting. Um, because I, again, I think most people, and I could say most women, you know, that's who you specifically work with can identify with, with these various, um, stages, even if it wasn't a massive betrayal, you know, of, of cheating or something. So your quiz is called, do you have betrayal trauma from a romantic relationship? And it was not easy to take because some questions hit on, you know, certain experiences and, um, that's something I, I don't have a, a crazy dramatic story, but I do have a story around, you know, betrayal. And I find it, even though it was years ago that the symptoms are still there. Sure. So I guess it's, it's an ongoing process. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So when, who do you, okay, well, can you describe your three, um, phases. Yes, yes, yes. To, so to, to everyone. I'll describe, I'll define betrayal trauma and then I'll describe, and then I'll describe the phases and then I'll have to credit like the um, <laughs> people who actually came up with this and I've just sort of adapted it and given it different names um, for what I see in clients. So betrayal trauma um, was a term developed, I believe her name is Jennifer Freed. And she was working with children who'd been abused by their parents, by their caregivers. Mm. So betrayal trauma and its first definition, its most basic definition is when a person or institution that we rely on for safety or security betrays our trust. So if you think about that, that's a really broad term. Mm -hmm. So We all have experienced some kind of betrayal trauma, not just in romantic. That's the thing that we think about first, right? Is like, oh, my partner, romantic betrayal trauma. But if you think about like, you know, the priest scandal in the Catholic church, that was a betrayal by an institution at a huge level, whether or not like you were a person who was abused, the church lying and covering that up, you know, that was a huge trauma that like, thousands, millions of people experienced. One of my favorite other examples is I live in Texas, February of 2021. We had no power or water for a week. Mm -hmm. That was a huge trauma that this, you know, that our state experienced people died and we felt betrayed by the people who were supposed to keep the power and the water on. Like that's just supposed to happen. It can also happen with girlfriends i hear that a lot where we have a good friend who betrayed our trust work bosses colleagues family members and of course romantic relationships those are all ways we experience betrayal trauma and the beauty is it's like you said in the beginning it's this term that we most of us don't even know and it's one of these ways we're like, well, just move on, right? Just yeah. move on and get over it. It's in the past. Why are you talking about the past? Because it was a trauma. And 
luckily we know now like we used to think we talk about, about capital t drama like big huge car crashes assaults deaths mm-hmm. like but what we know now is that actually we all i believe we all have little t traumas that over a lifetime are as significant as like big ones they accumulate yeah. so that's betrayal trauma we heal through trauma in phases, and the phases of, of recovery are uh, developed by a woman named Judith Herman, who wrote a book called Trauma and Recovery. She was just talking about trauma in general, and her book talks about we heal we heal in three phases. The first one, as I mentioned earlier, safety and stability. We have to have safety in our lives before we can do any sort of healing work. So if we're still in the abusive relationship, the toxic relationship, the unsafe workplace, we're never going to be able to heal because we're constantly being re-traumatized. Safety and stability. Mm. The second phase, once we have some safety and stability, then we go into, um, it's called remembrance and mourning. So mm. we start to remember our story. We're able to look backwards. We're able to actually feel the grief for what happened. Um, and we can start to make sense of this. And this could be a powerful place where we can start to shift the narrative of what happened to us. And we can start to move from being victim to like, I'm a survivor. And that's a really key turning point in the healing mm-hmm. process. And then the last phase is reconnection. So reconnection with ourselves, reconnection with other people. And so that's where I sort of come in. That's my sweet spot and the women that okay. I, I like to work with. But so safety and stability, the um, the avatar, we use that word <laughs> that, that <laughs> I use for women, is awakening warrior, right? This is like, we, you've discovered this thing is happening. You've been like most enlightening, enlightenment experiences. We don't really want it to happen, but here it is, right? So you're awakened to the truth and you have to find your inner warrior to create and fight mm-hmm. for the safety and stability that you need. So that's like one of the results like from from Mm -hmm. the from betrayal trauma quiz the second one is sir no no that searching spirit oh my god i can can find it (laughs) i can find it hold on um let's see oh no how do i get back to it because i took it and then oh okay yeah i can find it Rising, rising beauty, beauty. rising yes. beauty. Yes. <laughs> rising beauty. So mm. this is where you're starting to come out of like the really dark times. You're able to start to focus on yourself a little bit to start to do some of that inner reclaiming work. And there'll be this moment that we talked about earlier, the shift, not just in the story, but in the fact of like, I can't save him. And re- whatever is going on with him, if he's getting better or not, I really have to focus on me. And in that moment, we start to be able to do some of the um, looking back and inner child and like family of origin work. And I'll give you a cautionary tale. If you're an awakening warrior and if you're in a person who has betrayed you and you're in a couples therapy and it's new and it's raw and they want you to talk about your family, you try to run away. <laughs> like that mm. is not the time to do that work, right? You are, you need safety okay. and stability first. So we move to the second, the rising beauty. We start to focus on ourselves more. We do some of that inner healing work. And then from there, you move into comeback queen, which mm-hmm. is <laughs> when you start to move <laughs> on. Exactly. You start to move yeah. on. You start to date. You start to just 
sort of venture out into the world again, because the thing about trauma is it's so isolating, especially with betrayal, with sex addiction. We don't want to talk about it. There's so much shame that we carry about what happened. There's such a stigma about it. Mm. And so it's really like re-emerging into the world again. And it can be dating. It can be like connecting with other family members. And there are a lot of clients that I work with that don't have any friends. So I'm like, Mm. how do we get you a community? How do you get? And the sad part is the last couple of years because of COVID, that was really hard to do, right? You know, but now we're coming back out. So they're able to to meet, make friends. And this is also one of the things I really focus on is in the name Comeback Queen comes from one of my programs called Your Big Sexy Comeback, which is... Like (laughs) reclaiming your sexuality, right? Um, Because when this betrayal happens, when the sex addiction is there, especially, but not just that, it really impacts how we feel about ourselves. What's wrong with me? Why Mm -hmm. didn't he pick me? I don't look like the women in the, I even talked about pornography. Pornography is a huge, Mm. many women consider it a betrayal. I have a huge problem with pornography in the industry that it is. Some people have different opinions, but there are many women who feel that pornography is a betrayal. And if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. And you get to feel that way. Mm -hmm. But I don't look like the women in those videos, right? I don't, that sort of wrestling with our sexuality and we start to get really, really shut down. And what I've known, what I've, I've realized too over time is that it's not, well, first of all, we all have betrayal trauma. But as women in particular, we have a wound around our sexuality, Mm. right? Like we are not taught to be sexual beings or it's Mm -hmm. like this, right? It's a lot of shame. A lot of shame. Yeah. And it's worse now. Worse now, I think, for younger women. And I must have seen it in some film, uh, a documentary about the digital age and how women are pushed into sending pictures really young but they're pushed into sending and if they do they're considered a slut if they don't then they're considered a prude and so it's there is no space to go actually right anymore so I I just I can't even imagine how hard it is now for young girls yeah it's true it's everywhere like the images are everywhere and you know the The thing about the pressure to do that and the thing about pornography which is ubiquitous like the average exposure age to pornography is like 10 years old mm. because the yeah. internet it's so easy to get it it's everywhere and the women are often literally altered to look differently yep. right mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. their genitals have been altered <laughs> you know yes. their breasts have everything. been altered everything mm-hmm. is fake you know it's so these young boys and young women, they see this image, not to mention, like, that's not what, that's not what sex looks like, right? Right. It's not what it looks, it's not the actual experience. So everybody comes in with this, the young boys, and this, you know, there's, it's true, there's more and more evidence of young boys who have trouble getting aroused with a real girl or person because Mm-hmm. We have a, it's called an arousal template, like what we're exposed to that turns us on shapes then what turns us on. Okay. So, so these young. Yeah. So really young, that starts. Really I mean, young, makes, that can start. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's like lots of, of studies now that are showing that young boys having to take Viagra 
because they can't get an erection in real life. And on the flip side, you have all these young girls, right, who I don't look like that. I don't act like that. I don't have an orgasm, like, like just some some tiny thing happening. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You have boys, right? I do. I have three Mm -hmm. boys. Oh, three. I have four, including my stepson. I have four boys. Yes. I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> you know, it is, it is honestly, uh, although truthfully, it's my greatest <laughs> form of activism. It really is yeah. raising, raising good. Right. Money. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And what's the oldest? He's he'll be 20 this month. Oh, okay. So yeah. you've been, been in it for a long time. We've been in it for two decades. Yes. <laughs> yes. Having, having these conversations, I'm sure. Having lots of awkward conversations, lots of like, <laughs> I'm uncomfortable, you're uncomfortable, and we're going to talk about it anyway. Yes. Yeah. You have yeah. to. You have mm. to. Yeah. 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 They're, they're very fortunate. Yeah. Well, they may or may yeah. not agree with you based <laughs> on the day, but that's a, that's the lot. It's not personal. It's parenting, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Having those hard conversations, I think... Um, I have friends, their kids are now teenagers and it's getting real. Yeah. Yeah. My friend says she, it's, they're like, they're bigger and the problems are much bigger. Absolutely. It's like when yeah. they're really little, you're just trying to keep them from killing themselves and like, <laughs> yeah. cause they're, they can't walk physically danger. And then by the time they hit 16, then they're in cars. Right. And then you're mm-hmm. also then trying to make sure they don't hurt themselves. <laughs> right. But then, yeah. The, yeah, the problems just get bigger and bigger as they move out into the world, right? Mm-hmm. And you're never really prepared for any of it. It's a crapshoot every day. Is but, it? Okay. I have oh, no yeah. children. Yeah. Oh, parent. Yeah, it's every day. <laughs> Maybe it'll work. Yeah. Maybe it won't. <laughs> Often I'll tell my kids now, just send me an invoice. When you're in therapy, <laughs> just send it to me. I'll pay for it, right? <laughs> like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, Yes. It is, it's all, it's all hard. And I think, yeah. you know, doing the work again that you do and, and being there not as a therapist, but really as a mentor and a coach yeah. is huge, is really huge. Yeah. And, and having been there as well. And yeah. So, was, yeah. Yeah. What were we going to say? I was just say yes. And, and so I sort of got off the topic, but part of that, that reconnection phase and the healing process Mm. absolutely relates to parenting. Parenting with PTSD Mm. is a challenge when you have a young boy or a young girl who is lying to you, which is developmentally appropriate for teenagers or children at different ages. They've learned to lie. Mm -hmm. That's what teenagers do. But in the moment, you're like, oh my God, is he just like my ex, right? And you have these huge triggers and you have to be really, really self-aware and say, and this is the same thing true. Like in my marriage now, I still get triggered from shit from my past. And so Mm -hmm. when I'm triggered by something my husband does or my kid does, you have to be able to say, yes, I'm having a huge reaction right now. 10% of it has to do with what's going on and validate there's something going on that is upsetting, but 90% of it or whatever, some percentage of it, the reason why it's so big is because this thing happened to me in the past. Being able to know that so that you can then have these moments. And that's how we start to heal, right? 
mm. is to have these moments and to work through them with the people that we love, where they can be consistent and trustworthy. And we trust ourselves to say, no, my intuition is telling me that something's going on in this moment. And here's the thing too about intuition. And, and it really is all of the work that I do. We're working on intuition the whole time. We're working on listening to our bodies the whole time. And here's the thing. We, we learn to trust our intuition until it's proven wrong. Which is a very mm -hmm. hard stance to take, but right. Yes. 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 So, so trusting it, trusting it until there's evidence. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's a good one. Yeah. And, I, and this comes up quite a bit with, people, I find a lot of people that are in, in your space, you know, in the coaching and um, even business space really operate from intuition. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and at times it's really can be challenging to tap into intuition. What are some things that you, that you would say to help strengthen your intuition or what are some signs potentially that people could look for? So there's, there's two things. Um, the, the quickest answer that I'll always tell people is your intuition is never mean, hmm. mm -hmm. right? So the cycle, is it inner critic? Is it fear? Is it PTSD? Yeah. Right. We have to learn to separate between those, but then to really tap into it, we have to be in a calm, regulated nervous system. So it really oh, begins. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Ew. <laughs> that makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. Yeah. You can't be I'm, trying to find answers or tune if it's, if it's completely off. It's right. so glaring. It's, yeah. Yeah. If we're, if, if we're grounded, if we're, and so that's number one, when we get triggered, when we're trying to figure something out, we get quiet, we get still, we slow everything down. One of the things that I teach all my ladies are going slow is your superpower. So mm -hmm. if you're in a situation and you're like, mm, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do, just slow down. It is a false narrative 99% of the time that we have to do something quickly. And yes. that's where we cannot listen. Obviously, sometimes your intuition is that quick, but it's learning to tap into, learning to know when is this my intuition? When is it like, so I'm doing this midline of the body, like we're centered, we're in alignment with ourselves, that we know it feels good, it feels solid. And going slow, breathing, literally moving slow, like mm. you okay. literally like, I'm going to take a glass really slowly, you know, really slowly, or like when I'm setting up for the podcast, I'll start to get excited or anxious or nervous and I'm trying to get the cords plugged in and the more I try to go faster right the worse it gets yeah totally but if, mm -hmm. take a breath slow down be very intentional very present with like I'm gonna untangle the cord and, and like all of that sends signals to our nervous system into our body that we're safe mm. so there's so many ways so many tools yeah. to practice regulating our nervous system meditation, journaling, all that shit. Some people have been telling you to do for two decades. <laughs> it works. <laughs> it works. <laughs> it actually works. Hold crystals. <laughs> uh, all of it. Totally. <laughs> yes. It oh, works. So much. Yeah. <laughs> it works. It works. Uh, yeah. yeah. This is very helpful because I, you're being very cerebral, yes. it can really get us in trouble. Absolutely. I think 
because it's a, it's a swirl. It's a talking in, talk, you know, talking in and out of things. I really like what you said about the, the intuition never being mean and yeah. always having, of course, our best interest. Yes. So that inner critic and, and then you said the PTSD, what does that look like as far as an inner voice? So that could be, um, so when I talked about the hypervigilance before, you know, mm -hmm. it's like that it's just, it could be very, very, uh, and it could be very, very old brain, reptilian brain, something bad's going to happen, right? Something oh, bad's going to happen. Okay. You're going to yeah, fail. Yeah. You're going to suck at this. You know, he's going to cheat that. So that mean, like there's a mm -hmm. different quality. There's a meanness to it, as opposed to you're walking down the street and it's dark and scary and your body's like, get out. That's different, right? Can you see like the energy mm -hmm. of that is different. There could be a difference between protection, right? And, and, and meanness. And it just takes practice. And you're right. We're taught to live. We're cerebral in the same way. We're just programmed since like ancient philosophers. I think therefore I am. Mm -hmm. Right. We've been set <laughs> <Yes>. up <laughs> for centuries to value this mm -hmm. thing. And it's a lie. We know now like our thoughts are not who we really are. Right. And mm -hmm. so that's a huge thing too, is becoming aware of, of our thoughts. And our mm -hmm. thoughts versus our intuition. So if you've done any work on this, you can become aware. And the first time I heard that, I was like, what do you mean I'm not my thoughts? That's crazy. Yeah, But when you true. separate it and be like, oh, I'm having all these crazy thoughts. And the part of you that can look and see those crazy thoughts, that's your intuition. That's your centered mm. self. Okay. Mm. Interesting. I like how you described that. When you're the observer. Yes. Yes. When you're the observer of like, oh, wow, I'm having a big reaction to this right now. Okay. Hmm. And what if you have, I, I understand if you're in a relationship with someone that, that is has a sex addict, for example, yeah. it's an extreme, yeah. they, you know, they need help, but someone that is not necessarily, you know, cheating or anything, but being dishonest about certain things to avoid conflict and so there's that layer there and, you know, and then you keep getting triggered or something like that. Mm -hmm. Is that the triggers, I guess it's a question about triggers as well. Is mm -hmm. that partly intuition and saying like putting yourself, trying to keep safe, or is that an old wound? Again, this is hard to answer potentially, but yeah, it, it is really hard to answer. Um, and I will say that when we're triggered, um, it is, is very hard to sort of separate between, is there something really going on in the moment? That's my intuition or not. And here's the, here's the thing. When you're triggered, I don't think you can hear your intuition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 All you hear is like the trauma. You hear the PTSD. You hear the like, oh my God, the same thing is happening all over again. Right. Mm -hmm. But if there is dishonesty going on, you know, I'm also I obviously <laughs> safety and honesty are my <laughs> huge core values. And I don't even really want to say this. We all lie a little bit, right? We mm -hmm. all like, do mm -hmm. don't tell the whole truth. We avoid conflict, but everybody has to decide. I had a girlfriend tell me this one time. She was in every relationship. You have to decide how much dishonesty you're willing to live mm. with. Because there's mm -hmm. always going to be a little bit, right? Just because of human nature. But we get to decide that. 
And mm-hmm. so if you, even if you have a person who is, and the worst things are like these lies of omission. I didn't lie. Like, well, not telling me the whole truth is actually still being dishonest about it. Right. So you have to decide, is this something wrong with this person that they cannot be honest? And um, part of like the, the conflict avoidance is they have to trust you. And it can go both ways if you're the one doing it. We have to trust our people to handle the truth and mm-hmm. not abandon us. So many of us, and this is the thing that I see, you know, I, I've seen with, with Jeff, my husband, we've both had to learn. We grew up, if people had fights, somebody left, right? Mm. <laughs> like yeah. through multiple yep. marriages, through abandonment, like all of that stuff. If there's mm-hmm. a conflict, somebody left. So working through that trigger, which is its own right. trigger, working through that and learning to trust, I can be myself with this person. And they're still going to love me. Mm-hmm. That's real intimacy. That is intimacy. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I love that you brought up intimacy. Yes. Because you are an expert <laughs> in intimacy. <laughs> which, it's what which it, is, yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> every day, it's, it's a different, it's funny, I'm an expert. Um <laughs> I do my best every day in my own life, right? And to share Mm -hmm. what the tools that I have learned, you know, through Mm -hmm. this healing process, through like being in this relationship with this wonderful, beautiful man and trusting him and him trusting me and like the real intimate moments. So like what I talked about earlier, like when he's done something and um, I'm upset about it and he's done something legitimately that I'm upset about, I have a right to be upset about it but maybe only like 10% mm-hmm. is really this and 90% is what's happened in my, in my previous life. And so like these moments where we're standing in the kitchen and being able to say, I can say to him, like, I'm really upset by what you did. And I can own that this reaction in my body, most of it is not about you. <laughs> and he could like be there and say, I hear you. And it feels really awful to me that you're this mad at me right now. Like it's hurtful to him and us both being able to say that and then saying why don't we take 30 minutes or an (laughs) hour or whatever and then we will come back to the kitchen you know later and then do the repair work intimacy is about Mm -hmm. trusting someone to love you when you show them the parts of yourself that we don't really even like to look at on our own and Mm -hmm. there's a huge amount of our own work that has to go into that process I had you know, years of like recognizing this is what's happening in my body. Only a small part of it is about Jeff or a small part of it is about my sons or a small part of it is about a girlfriend, you know, where mm-hmm. I might get upset about it's like all the relationships are tricky and intimacy is just showing up and like willing to do the hard work of showing our real selves of being authentic, even when it's scary and then when there is conflict, being very, very intentional about repair. Jeff and mm-hmm. I have lots of little like rituals when we have conflict because you have conflict as a couple. If you don't, right. that's worse, right? Yes, <laughs> I agree. Mm-hmm. Totally. So how do you repair that? How do you come in and say, I'm still upset about what happened and not in a gaslighty kind of way, right? Mm-hmm. Not in a self-gaslighting kind of way, but in a way of like, 
I am 51 years old now. This relationship is really important to me. I want to make it work. I'm going to be a grown up. So I'm going to come in. All right. How do we repair what's going on between us? And this is like a Gottman thing again. This is not, this is not <laughs> anything Jenny came up with. The Gottmans are all about <laughs> we make repairs. And so Jeff and I have like rituals that we'll do. I can't go to bed upset and mm. angry. I can't go to bed if there's yeah. a rupture in our relationship. I'll wake up with a hangover, like mm. an emotional hangover. So if we're in bed, if, we're, if it, we've gotten to the point where we can't resolve something, but we have to go to bed because it's late. And the later it is, the more yeah. tired you are, the more worse, worse. you're going to make everything. So just yes. stop. And mm-hmm. I'm really bad at that. I want to fix it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I want to yes. fight and <laughs> fix it. Oh. I just want him to yeah. understand what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being able to say, we got to go to bed because only bad things are going to come out of our mouths now. So how do we fix it? And then we will do you know, a few things. One of them is we'll say five reasons why we love each other. Hmm. We'll take turns or we'll like recount some of our early dating memories, sort of like our origin story of why we fell Hmm. in love with each other. So little things like that to like just repair this connection between us. It's huge. Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh yeah, I do love this person. Okay. That's right. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You have to have that the repair because again conflict is inevitable right but it, it definitely is yeah in the repair yeah, pieces absolutely so, what if you now have left this relationship yes you have left this sex addict cheater someone that has betrayed you you want to move on what are some of your comeback tips let's say for- <laughs> you know, and creating a new, amazing relationship. Yeah. So I, I, you know, you start with, everything starts with, this is such a coachy thing to say, your core (laughs) values, right? You start with doing the work of figuring out what's most important to you. And when you've been through a betrayal, most of the times I see safety is like safety, honesty is becoming these most important priorities. Um, Mm -hmm. And whatever, you know, they are for your core values and then build everything through that. So when you start to think about like a person that you want to meet, or if you start dating again, you want to make sure that you're living in alignment with all of that. So um, when I wrote my Bumble profile, I met Jeff on Bumble. Oh, nice. (laughs) I love that. You can meet people (laughs) on dating apps. That's how you meet people these days. That's how it works. I'm sorry. It's Um, true. (laughs) so many people are like no I just want to meet someone real life I'm like okay you can try that and when you're ready to write your profile let me know but (laughs) everything in my dating profile was the most important things to me so it talked about music it talked about free spirit it talked about foodie it talked about Mm -hmm. roller coasters my favorite band Wilco because all of those things seem really simple and silly but they're actually the things that are most important to me Mm -hmm. right? Which I've learned about myself. And so knowing that we want to find a person who has those shared values, right? And getting Mm -hmm. clear about those values, also getting clear, looking at our sexuality and how we feel about sex. Because um, so many of us, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, we have sort of these wounds around our sexuality. And I also there's like, 
um, five lies I believe that we all have about sex or we have one version of them but like sex is secret sex is hurtful mm -hmm. sex is a commodity right sex has no moral bounds and we all have some version of this that shows up mm -hmm. and getting really clear about the boundaries that we have our ourself around our sexuality and like what our values are and like that's different for everybody. For me, I was very promiscuous when I was younger. I was not, I was drinking. So of course, yep. a lot of shady behavior, also symptoms of childhood sexual abuse, by the way. Mm -hmm. But so when I got out of this relationship and I was starting to move on for me, I really wanted to keep my body. And this is just me. This is no judgment on anybody else. If you want to have orgasms and sex, if you're from an mm -hmm. empowered alignment place, then do that for me. I wanted to really be careful about who I shared my body and my energy with, energy mm -hmm. with. And so had very sort of like strict is not the right word, but very intentional. So like when Jeff and I started dating, we didn't sleep together until we were like in love with each other. And I mm. really, I didn't go into it thinking that's what I was going to do. But then I realized no, I just, I deserve that. That's what I wanted was someone mm -hmm. to be in love with me before I let them into that level of intimacy. And like going back to intimacy, there's so many yep. different ways to experience it. Sex is just one of them. And actually, it, ideally, we experience different kinds of intimacy with this person before we have sex because you know it's sort of like this thing we think is the most intimate but if we haven't done the work it's actually the least intimate right it can be the so least. true we, show, we have sex we don't connect with the person it's just mm -hmm. this transactional transactional experience yes and what are some examples of everyday intimacy and how do you practice it so it's it's a lot of what you know i talked about before it's about um Create, I haven't talked to that before, actually. Creating <laughs> moments of conscious connection with our people, right? Mm -hmm. Every day, every day, like um, finding activities that we can do. And this is like with Jeff, we'll go on walks. We just moved. We used to walk around our neighborhood and now our whole life has changed. So our routines have changed. We used to live sort of in the suburbs and now we live in downtown Austin. Mm -hmm. So our routines Fun. are like, um, we get up, take the dogs for walks on the outside. And it's like a, a way that we connect with each other. We talk about the day. We sit in the morning, we have coffee. What's your day look like? So it's it doesn't have to be these sort of big, elaborate, romantic gestures. It's just like the tiny moments where you're completely present with your person and engaging in things that they really love. So things I used to do with my boys, I'll connect with them, right, in intimate ways. My youngest loves, um, this is a thing that we don't do anymore since we moved, but we would go for toad walks at night, mm. like, <laughs> we'd walk around the neighborhood, because he loves animals and reptiles, and so I would take him out, and we would look for toads, and like, be completely present, and doing this thing that he loved, and experiencing the joy of that through them, I played hours of D&D. &D. I did not enjoy that. But my teenagers loved that. I had a That's character. A good mom. <laughs> Her name was Nenya. I had all my powers. <laughs> all <of it. laughs> 
but that's what I mean it's like how do we love our people how do we create these conscious moments of connection bathtubs we don't have a bathtub anymore but Jeff and I would get in the bathtub and like face each other especially if we had a difficult thing we were talking through I used to call them Mm. tough tubby talks we're in the bath (laughs) we're literally naked right facing each other but able to like okay we're gonna sit here together and you have to feel safety in the relationship to be able to do that, right? Mm-hmm. And and having hard conversations, but it's not all hard. Intimacy also, like I said, it should be fun things, roller coasters, like trips, like just being, I heard this phrase recently, like um, that I really love called ministry of presence. And it really mm-hmm. is just being completely present with mm-hmm. our person and feeling connected to them because you know, like these things, right? Addiction. Yeah. Addiction and the death of intimacy, right? With Mm -hmm. the people in our real lives. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you. Some good ones. Thank you. (laughs) Simple things. It's simple. Every day. That's the thing. It's every day. How do we do it every day? Mm -hmm. And so from the past, again, we're, you know, this is for the person that's looking to be in a, in a new relationship, how do they learn to choose differently? Because my understanding, it's a lot of subconscious stuff going on. Absolutely. So that's why I talked about like the, we have the trauma very Mm -hmm. far in the past. We're continuing to work it out, right? We continue to work it out in a couple of different ways. Um, One of them is we completely shut down. And we disconnect ourselves from other people. We remain hypervigilant, like we never let people in. Another way that we work it out is we subconsciously try to reenact what happened. Mm. We just put ourselves in situations where we try to. So trauma, think of trauma. This is the ba- one of the basic definitions. It's like something happens where we are overwhelmed in the moment and we can't do the thing that our nervous system would want us to do. So fight or flight. Like, so that energy, that experience gets trapped in our bodies. And then we Mm -hmm. spend the rest of our lives trying to like have that experience, have the relationship where we fight, literally, or flee. We do, we have the healing moment that we need. But if you do that, if something happens to you when you're seven, and then this is me, and then you're in your forties and you're doing the same thing, it doesn't make sense anymore. And that behavior gets labeled as a personality defect. That's what gets, and I, I have to stop here because a lot of this language, this is stuff that I thought about, but when I read it, uh, Resma Menachem, who wrote My Grandmother's Hands, incredible mm. author. Everybody okay. should read the book. He talks about institutional, he talks about racism being the result of white bodies having trauma in, in, our, in our bodies that we don't deal with, and it shows mm. up as racism. Fascinating. But Whoa. he talks about, yes, mm. incredible. Mm. So he talks about like over a lifetime, that behavior looks like a personality defect. And that then I take to say, that's what gets labeled as like the codependence and the enabling. And we have work to do to heal that part of ourselves that is unconsciously choosing, trying to work this thing out. So one of the things that I do with clients is I do... um, a process I call relational pattern. And it's a little bit of a Mago theory, which says 
we pick a person who reminds us of our parents so that we can work shit out, right? That thing yeah. we didn't get from our parents <laughs> as little girls. We keep trying to pick a parent who's going to give it to us. And uh -huh. most of the time, they can't actually give it to us. So that's where we get stuck in these, these patterns. And then also, I've taken um, a tool from the 12 Steps, which mm -hmm. is like this sort of relationship inventory um, you look at, I have clients look at like all of the relationships, starting with parents, siblings, girlfriends, romantic relationships. And when you look at sort of like the trajectory of those and what happened, we often find a pattern. We mm -hmm. find a pattern of how we show up in a relationship, right? Time and time again, many for my own self and many clients, there were, there's this sort of alternating pattern of, I'd be in a relationship with a good guy and I would sabotage and completely fuck it up. Mm -hmm. I'd be in a relationship yeah. with a bad guy and like turn myself out to make it happen. And it's so <laughs> cliche and stereotypical. And like, that's like, that's why these, you know, Bible theory and all this stuff exists because there's also some truth to it. Mm -hmm. So realizing what was it I'm trying to get from this person and how do I give it to myself? Mm -hmm. Because when we start to do that work and heal ourselves and stop subconsciously even looking outside of ourselves and, and do that healing inner work and seeing what the pattern is. And like, and for me, it's like I would see a person, be really attracted to them, put them on a pedestal, get in a relationship with them. Oh, wow. They're not actually that great. Start like looking for the next relationship. Oh, wow. This person is amazing. And then like, that's how I moved for a very long time in my life yes. until I got out of my relationship with the sex addict. And at that point, that was my third divorce. And from this very non-judgmental place was like, okay, I got to work on me now. There's something going on here. I'm not blaming myself for like picking this person. I don't believe that our pickers are broken. I think all of that is mm. so judgy. It's judgy. Oh. It's mean, right? I think it's but, mean. Yeah, it is mean. <laughs> it's You're mean. right. It's mean to ourselves, you mean. It's mean yeah. to ourselves. Yeah, it's mean to ourselves. And it's mean when people say that, mm -hmm. you know, but it's like, you're not broken. We're all doing the best that we can, right? It's all about like, it's what happened to us as little mm -hmm. girls that we're still trying to work out. And when we mm -hmm. understand what happened, when we understand or have some idea of why we're picking this person, right? Some of the, the women that I work with, it's like they never felt safe as little girls. So they keep trying to pick a person where they feel safe, but they end yeah. up picking picking. And that's such a, that says there's some conscious, but it's like mm -hmm. they're subconscious they wind up in a really find themselves in a relationship with a person who can't actually make them feel safe. Yeah. And so the work re is recreates it. Re the feeling it over and over. Itself. Exactly. Yeah. 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 God, the mind and the body. And the body. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Totally. Yes. When I, I recently heard about the, that the subconscious is choosing our partners for us mm -hmm. yeah. and that I, I don't know why I'd not, really heard that before thinking, okay, no, you can be so conscious and thoughtful about it. And that can be true, but most of the time it isn't just love at first sight, even though you may have felt right. that. Exactly. A lot of stuff going, going on underneath. Exactly. One of my favorite examples was, I heard this from a, a psychologist years ago. She was talking about when we grow up, if we grow up with parents who smoke, 
right? Mm -hmm. Then we, our subconscious wires like affection and home with the smell of cigarettes. And so then we meet a person who smokes and there's this, right? Immediately, oh, this person feels like home. And we don't even know that that's happening in our brains, but because we have an association. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing. If we live in a home where there's unsafety, that's home to us. And so then we meet a person and we don't actually feel safe, but it feels like home for us. And it's so mm-hmm. the, the real work is, is actually learning to tolerate real safety, which could be a challenge for those <laughs> of us who grew up feeling unsafe. Mm-hmm. It's so true and quite boring. Yes. A healthy, <laughs> a healthy relationship. <laughs> kind of not exciting that's the thing <laughs> yes the, the more to- toxic and tumultuous again these words are thrown around a lot these days yeah. which yeah. I think is yeah. is kind of a good thing in a way I mean trauma now maybe who I follow on Instagram but it's, right. it's so much content out there and yeah. so many people speaking to it and trauma informed is now another another thing I see yeah. quite a lot <clears throat> so I think it's just and regulating your nervous system. So again, mm-hmm. the, luckily they're going together. Right. You know, yeah. and, and tools and things like that. So you have so many offerings and you have a podcast. Yes. And an, an amazing website. I have to say it was just beautifully written you. with your voice. Thank and you. It's, um, and it has that quiz on there, which I definitely recommend people take. Where can people find you and what is the best... It, I don't know, place to, to go to sort of learn more and, and see you. Is it- yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> I love for people to uh, start with the quiz. Like it is, it's based on trainings, um, but it's really based on like my experience in working with hundreds of women and learning what they really need in that moment. So it's betrayaltraumaquiz.com. You can go take it. It takes a few minutes and it will put you into it. It's like a sorting hat, right? It will put you into one of these places and get you, start to get you all these resources, blog posts, podcasts, different things, you know, different courses that I offer. And there's a whole lot of like evergreen stuff. I'm like this close to <laughs> launching so that people, it's always <laughs> like that, right? I'm always like one, one sales page away from having everything done so that you can have <laughs> more like videos, more self-paced kind of things to do. But you can always, I'm also I'm on Instagram, the Jenny Rochelle. There's lots of ways to get in touch with me. I do see private clients as well. I do from okay. time to time offer your big sexy comeback as a live group program. Um, mm-hmm. that I'll probably be offering at the beginning of next year, which is always just a profound, incredible experience to have women come in and reconnect with their bodies and realize how much their sexuality, which I believe is our mm-hmm. God-given right, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like to have great sex and orgasms and um, how much it's been impacted by the betrayal and by just being a woman in mm-hmm. the world. And so that's one of the things that feel really, at this point in my life, like the intimacy and the sexuality, the things that are the juiciest for me, of course, is always where yeah. I am in my life, right? That's <laughs> the work that we really want to do. So yeah, lots of ways Ooh. to find me in the world, lots of ways to get in touch with me. Okay. And I will link them as well. Thank you. Thank you. People. So the, the big sexy, you're having 
you're in a in a prime sounds yes. like okay yes yes <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love absolutely it. yes well, yes that's totally. so great I feel totally. like I'm in my, my early 40s and I feel like I'm in my prime now I never oh, would have yeah. thought that so I have to say I tell younger younger women like just wait it just wait. Gets better. It only gets better. No, there was a book that came out a couple of years ago called Magnificent Sex. And they they interviewed and talked with people of different ages, of different bodies, of different abilities, right? All different kinds of people. And they interviewed like what was the average age that they had magnificent sex? Guess what it was? 55. 55. 55. <laughs> no way. 55 was their partner also 55 or was he younger <laughs> no <laughs> I think the partners was also 55 that's a great question that's a great question but it just speaks to the fact wow. that like the older we get you know this is also cliche the less fucks that we give the more comfortable yeah. we are with ourselves the more like I, I'm gonna be who I want to be in the world right mm -hmm. yes yeah. Okay, a couple more questions. I yes. always ask, what are you most proud of up until this point? Oh my goodness. <laughs> what am I most proud of? I am, I'm gonna cry. I'm most proud of my boys. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like they're my greatest form yeah. of activism. And when yeah. I see them wrestling with things in the way and wrestling with things that are toxic masculinity or like watching my oldest son care for his girlfriend in this really sweet way, you know, or like. Mm -hmm. that's the thing I'm most proud of and it's the hardest thing as well right? <laughs> yeah yes okay yeah. thank you and what are you most looking forward to right now mm, what am I most looking forward to <laughs> retirement <laughs> <laughs> will you ever <laughs> no of course not it was not possible I'm trying to retire before and I'm like oh I just get <sighs> I'm looking forward to the next thing. I'm actually at a moment in my life where I'm slowing things down in terms of my business and coaching and podcasts and took actually sort of a, a hiatus over the summer because I do feel like there's something coming that I'm mm. supposed to create. I don't know what it is yet. So I'm mm -hmm. sitting in the stillness and the slowness until my intuition <laughs> tells me what it's supposed to be. So, yeah. That's great but you can feel it. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This was such a great conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for being here. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review on Apple podcasts. It makes a big difference for visibility and even better share this episode with a friend and don't forget to subscribe. So you never miss an episode every other Wednesday. If you're interested in working together to elevate your online presence, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me on Instagram at whereiswillow. I also hang out on LinkedIn, Willow McDonough. Until then, cheers to carving your own fucking path. I love you.